We don't believe in suing our critics into silence. We think it's better to try to counter fiction with facts. Hello there from Bedford, the Bitcoin mecca of the world. How are you all? You all having a good week? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell, or trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and I've got a bonus show this Sunday. I've got Paolo and Stuart from Tether and Bitfinex to answer some questions because we've had another round of Tether accusations flying around Twitter and Reddit, etc. Okay, but before that, I do have a very, very quick message from all of my show sponsors. I'm not going to do the normal reads, but I do want to just give a shout out to them, as without them, I could not make the show. Okay, BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services. You can take out Bitcoin loans and open up an interest account at BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And Kraken, which is the best place to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at kraken.com or download the app. It's available from the Apple and Google app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Sportsbet. Now, this is the very best place for online gaming. And because they're so cool, they accept Bitcoin. And you can bet on all major sports over at sportsbet.io. So just head over to sportsbet.io. We've got Carso, which is the very best in Bitcoin security. If you want to protect your Bitcoin, you can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And lastly, today we've got Exodus, the most user-friendly wallet on the market. You can download the mobile or desktop version from exodus.io, which is E-X-O-D-U-S dot I-O. Okay, so onto the show today, and over the past few weeks, I've started to get more emails and DMs from people asking me about Tether. Now, this isn't people who've been in the market for a long time, always tends to be new people who've just started to get into Bitcoin, and I guess they're seeing some of the stuff being spread around on Twitter or on Reddit, or they've Googled something, and they're getting a bit nervous. They're wondering whether it is legitimate, whether it's fully backed, you know, the same questions and bullshit we were seeing four years ago. And look, you can obviously tell from what I just said there. And, you know, for full transparency, I don't give any value to the FUD. I have previously completed my own research and found nothing. Still, there are people entering the market who do have questions and are getting nervous. So I don't normally pay too much attention to it. Some of the Tether-specific FUD Twitter accounts I've just blocked because they're annoying and they're spamming my Twitter. And I do think some of this is basically coming from people who just want to attack Bitcoin or are salty because they didn't buy early. It's the same people selling the same bullshit over and over again. Anyway, still, I asked Paolo, the CTO of Tether and Bitfinex, and Stuart, who is general counsel, to come on and answer some questions. If you've got any questions about this, if you think I didn't ask anything you think I should have, they said they'll come back on any point. So please feel free to reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, have a great rest of your weekend and I'll see you all soon. Right. Hi there, Paolo, Stuart. How are you both? Hey. Hey, Peter. I'm doing well. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Peter. All right, guys. Well, listen, look, thank you for uh, sending me this PR release in advance so I can make sure I can cover everything you've done and all the naughty things that Tether have done. And thanks for paying me for doing this and <laughs> all the bullshit they've been saying. Look, let's get this straight from the start. You haven't paid me to do this. Um, I My position on this is completely, I don't believe in the Tether FUD. Everyone should listen. I've done the research. Uh, I think there are questions that need answering, though, and I'm going to push you on those. Uh, there's no questions I'm not going to ask if you can't answer because of litigation say, but if I want to ask it, I'm going to ask it. Um, are you okay with all that? Yes. Absolutely. Right, cool. Let's get on with this. Okay. I'll start with you, Stuart. Can you just explain to me, and for other people who are listening, because they probably don't really fully understand it, how are 
tethers issued and redeemed? Um, okay, so let's let's be clear on our terminology if we're going to talk about issuances and redemptions. We use four principal terms when we talk about this: authorized tethers, issued tethers, redeemed tethers, and destroyed. So authorized tethers are tokens that are created on a blockchain uh, and they're available for issuance to the public. Uh, this process involves multiple blockchains uh, and multiple persons participating to sign transactions, uh, creation transactions. Uh, once created, they're available to, for sale to third parties, but until then they sit in tether, Tether's treasury as authorized but, on, but not issued. Uh, these authorized but unissued tokens aren't counted or not counted in the market cap of tethers uh, as they have not been issued or released into the ecosystem. So you should think of them a little bit like uh, inventory, uh, an inventory of products that are sitting on a shelf that are awaiting purchase. Issued tethers are authorized tokens in actual circulation and they have been sold to customers by tether and are fully backed by tether uh, and the reserves unless and until they're redeemed. As tokens are issued, the stock of authorized tethers, but not issued, is depleted, and they're replenished through authorization of new tokens uh, based, uh, based on market demand. When that happens, this is what Paolo's referring to in his PSAs on the replenishment of the tether inventory. This is adding to the authorized and unbacked and ready for sale, but not issued, sold and backed tethers. Okay, why do you why do you need to do that? Because I would have thought the creation of tethers is a very simple and easy job. Why do you need to leave them on the shelf? Um, well, it's it's a straightforward job, but it's an important job, and it's one that comes with security risks. And Paolo can speak to this a little bit, but there are security risks involved in using sensitive private keys to create new tethers, authorized, and so to have those at the ready uh, and not in the marketplace, not backed, uh, that exposes those keys to less risk. Um, and that's not just a theoretical risk. There's a, there's a serious security risk associated with that. Paolo, do you want to speak about that? Yeah, I believe that we can think to tether uh, um, authorization private keys as the, among the most important sets of private keys, private keys in our industry. So um, if you all hold, get hold of the private keys, you can really issue any amount of tethers you want. So what we want to do is to limit the number of times per week uh, when these private keys get accessed by signers. So having a semi-signed or, well, a row transaction, unsigned row transaction that get prepared uh, with a fixed amount and then signed when they need to, that really helps tether security. Because then we can, you can see that we are issuing round numbers like $200 million, right? So it means that we pre-prepared a row transaction that is an authorization transaction. Then tether signers sign that transaction and broadcast it. And as Stu said, we are leaving a bit of inventory on the shelf in order to fulfill what we think that future requests from customers could be. So, you know, on our day-to-day -day activity, we are always in talk with customers. So we have 
a good sense of what they might need, or right? they they ping us uh, in advance and they say, okay, we need we might need a certain this amount, or um, we might need that amount of of, of of tether. So we with time we learned how much um, tethers we should uh, authorize in advance and keep it uh, on the shelf in order to make make uh, these tethers available as soon as they uh, they are needed but at the same time also protecting the security of tether not continuing to touch uh, the private keys every single time there is one insurance okay i'm going to just push back on you saying they're the most important private keys in the industry I, I would say personally, my private key is the most important one. Outside of that, I would probably say wherever the biggest honeypot is, maybe it's Satoshi's private keys are the most important because uh, Bitcoin is completely censorship resistant. Tether isn't, right? You can, if required, censor transactions. You can, if if somebody issued a bunch of fake tethers, you could block those, I believe. Well, um, so first of all, I agree that, uh, you know, Bitcoin private keys are, well, in everyone's private keys are like their own babies. So uh, no doubt about that. So um, the issue, the, the difference, as you said, is that if someone gets all the private keys of Tether, they can uh, issue anything that they want. While in Bitcoin, if someone gets hold of the private keys, they can just steal the funds of the people that got hacked rather than minting fake Bitcoins. So. This is important, this is really important, and um, this is the reason why we want to keep these private keys so secure and, uh, and uh, touch them as, as little as possible. So, uh, yes, we can freeze um, fake, fake tethers, but at the same time, you can imagine if someone gets old of the... In order to freeze tethers, someone has to have the private keys, but if someone has already the private keys, then he, he can unfreeze our, free, uh, our attempt to freeze tethers. So it will become an endless attempt of freezing and freezing and trying to save um, save tether. That that is not ideal. That the the responsible responsible thing to do is touch the private keys as little as possible and use, of course, for every blockchain we use um, a multi-sig approach. So there are multiple private keys uh, that uh, are held by different signers, ge geographical different so that um, we can ensure the highest security possible in, in all our operations. Okay. All right. Um, Stuart, I interrupted you. You're going to talk about redemptions. Um, I sh we should finish that bit off. Sure. So redemptions are just when customers send their tokens back to Tether and they get fiat back in return. The Tethers then, those tokens then go into inventory back to inventory, uh, like their products that have been returned to inventory and awaiting future purchases. And then uh, those tokens can be held by Tether in its treasury or destroyed. And then destructions just, you know, multi-sig multi transactions being broadcast to reduce the number of outstanding tokens existing on the selected blockchain. And those, those tokens are for, forever eliminated. Basically, that's the reverse of authorization. So those four okay. concepts you have you have the life cycle of the tether okay so paolo who is using tether i would like to understand that what are they using it for and what is the kyc process for people who want to use tether and actually i'll throw another one in there who can't like who applies and who do you turn down so okay Let's start from uh, who uses Tether. I think that uh, uh, Stu can speak better about the KYC ML process. But um, 
so Tether was born in 2014. Um, it started from OmniLayer and um, it started, the, the reason why it was born is because there was um, an issue among uh, crypto trading exchanges. So in uh, 2013, uh, Bitcoin reached mm, uh, for the first time uh, $1,000, but uh, across different exchanges, you can see that the spread was two, three hundred dollars. And the reason was pretty simple. Um, Bitcoin moves with a pace that is uh, every 10 minutes. You can, so it can get credited and moves basically with a space of 10 minutes uh, because that is the very average block time. While dollars and fiat in general moves much slower. So you send a wire and it can take, you know, one day, five days, um, and that was not allowing proper arbitrage across platforms. And that is really important for healthy markets. So you don't want to have, um, you know, okay, coin to be uh, 1,000 and Bitfinex to be 1.3 thousand and so on. That is, so that is the job of arbitrageurs. They step in and trying to close these gaps. But with just fiat, is is was was really uh, difficult in 2014. It's slightly a bit better now, but definitely you want that both the legs of a trading pair like BTCUSD, so the two legs are BTC and USD, move, move at the same speed, at the same pace. And the only way to do that was to use the same underlying technology. So uh, OmniLayer was um, and is using Bitcoin, uh, underlying Bitcoin transactions to move um, tethers on, uh, on chain. So. Uh, that was the perfect use case, and so Tether was born for, for that specific reason, so to solve a problem. Now, uh, recently, of course, um, we, we started uh, to look into different use cases because I believe that uh, is the time that uh, Tether should outgrow uh, the crypto market. Of, of course, uh, that is still our main market, but we are looking to uh, working with uh, e-commerces, with um, businesses that offer remittances, businesses that uh, want to optimize um, their payment solutions that can be payments for salaries, for inventory, for anything. So we get bombarded um, on a daily basis of requests. And, and that's pretty awesome because you know, you want, we don't want to be only for crypto. We, we, we were born in crypto. We want to go um, uh, on a global scale. So Stu, you may, may want to touch base about uh, our uh, process onboarding customers maybe. Sure. So I'm always happy to discuss this because contrary to the online characterizations in some quarters, Tether has an outstanding compliance program. Um, our AML and our CTF sanctions program has been built to exceed or meet the standards of the U.S. Bank Secrecy Act and applicable BBI laws. Um, we work hard to detect, monitor, and deter AML CTF violations and our program is tested periodically by independent third-party uh, auditors. We always work to understand the identity, business type, source of funds, and the related risks of each and every customer on Tether. And we, we conduct enhanced due diligence on all customers. We risk rate every customer, we monitor all customers using world check, and we deploy chain analysis to detect potential crime related to our services and users. You know, we regularly help international law enforcement agencies with investigations in order to trace and potentially freeze wallets. Also, Tether will share information with law enforcement when given valid legal process. And we've helped law enforcement uh, and victims to freeze and return millions of USDTs. 
Um, so that's a, a bit of an overview of our compliance and what we look to. Have any customers ever lost their account? Lost their account? Yeah. Have you ever closed people's accounts? They can't work with you anymore. Have there only been any instances where you've tracked behavior and like you can't work with us anymore? Or has everyone kept a clean relationship? Um, no, I'm, we've, we have, we have ended relationships with customers in the past. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, in terms of the issuance of tethers, there's a lot that seems to happen on times when banks essentially would be closed, right? So weekends and holidays, there was certainly some over the holiday break. And I've seen people commenting on that saying, "Hmm, how how come that's happened? How how are you able to do that? Yeah, I I will take this one. So you're right, there is a lot of uh, misconception and fad around this this very point. You know, you would expect that um, you go to your um, uh, to, to HSBC on Sunday and that is closed so you cannot move your money, right? We as Tether are using Deltec as a primary bank and uh, most of our uh, biggest customers are using and are, are banked into the same bank. So uh, during the weekends, during holidays, there is always personnel from the bank that allows uh, internal transfers between accounts. So Tether has his own account and let's say a customer A has his own account. So customer A want to uh, acquire new Tethers. So they uh, ask to the bank personnel to do an internal transfer from their account to Tether's Deltic account. And that gets settled uh, and um, is available immediately to Tether. So when we um, issue Tethers, they are uh, fully backed because we already received the internal transfer. So I know that people make, um, but the, the problem that people making fun of, of the fact that we are issuing over weekends is just pure understanding on how uh, the financial market and the banking system works. Okay, you mentioned Deltec there. Are you shareholders in the company, in the bank? We don't talk about the investments that we have on the tether side. Okay. Um, okay. So are tethers fully backed? Uh, look, the short answer is yes. Every tether is 100% backed by our reserves. And those reserves include traditional currency and cash equivalents and may include other assets and receivables from loans made by tether to third parties. Now, that lending includes the loan to Bitfinex which currently stands at a principal balance of $550 million. The principal having been paid down ahead of schedule. Uh, The loan is on commercially reasonable terms. All interest is prepaid to the end of this month and it's otherwise in good standing. Every USDT is also pegged one-to-one to the dollar. So USDT is always valued by Tether at one USDT to one USD. Tether has always been able to honor redemption requests. And uh, to put it simply, there's never been a single instance in which Tether uh, could not honor a redemption. And our detractors can't point to one because one doesn't exist. And in fact, um, there's considerable evidence of USDT being redeemed by our customers freely. So um, Dan Matazuski has talked about this before. Uh, Ryan Salome just recently spoke about this, confirmed that. We can't share specific information about customers because of confidentiality concerns, but they are free to share that information with the market if they wish. So let me just ask if anyone seriously believes after uh, we 
you know, that we could be put under the microscope in the way that we have and still be operating if we, if we weren't backed. Okay. So you defies logic. So let me touch on one issue here. Um, the, that might be of interest to, to your listeners, the 74% number that's come up from time to time, uh, specifically in the context of tethers backing. This is another number that's been talked about a lot. And, uh, I want to be clear about this and give some context. I swore out an affidavit in New York, in the New York litigation with the AG on April 30th of last year. And that affidavit contained a number of items, including touching on tether backing. And in that statement, I said that of the then $2.1 billion in reserves, and today, just for context, that amount has grown to $22 billion. Tether had cash and cash equivalents on hand, representing approximately 74% of the current outstanding tethers. And that referred to issued tethers. Remember, we're talking about authorized Mm -hmm. and issued, et cetera. That was issued tethers. So people took from that that I said, this means they're only 74% backed. But that's not correct. And that's not what I said. It meant and means that the reserves were 74% cash and cash equivalents. Tethers were and are 100% backed, 100% backed by reserves. So the loan to Bitfinex is still good backing. Interest has been paid ahead of schedule, as I said, and principal has been repaid again ahead of schedule. So that forms part of Tether's reserve backing. So maybe people object to the amount of the backing, but it's not nothing. It's a valuable and productive asset. So, and just note that the, that loan is now 550 million, as I mentioned, out of almost $22 billion in reserves or 2.5% of the total. So I just wanna be clear about the nature of the backing and the context and our overall asset max on that point. Okay, so you talk about the backing, about currencies and different currencies. Um, Is any of the backing in Bitcoin? We were very clear last summer uh, in court that part of it is in Bitcoin. And if nothing else, there are transaction fees need to be paid on the Omni uh, Omni layer. Um, So Bitcoin was and is needed to pay for those transactions. So that shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. And we don't presently comment on our asset makeup overall as a general matter, but we are contemplating starting a process of providing updates on that on the website in, in, in this year, in 2021. But, but you have to manage the assets that back the tether. Sure. Um, Absolutely. Are there any instances where you are buying Bitcoin because you think it's a good asset to hold within the basket? Again, we don't comment on the, on the basket of assets as a general matter, but we are exploring providing updates on that on the website um, in 2021. Okay, because that's one of the areas where people will be like, hmm, they can issue Tether, they can buy the Bitcoin, which backs the Tether at the right time in the market. Mm-hmm. And that's where people might say that you have the ability to essentially pump the market. Well, I mean, I... hold on. We don't we don't have the ability to buy the Bitcoin at the right time in the market. You know, we're not prognosticators about whether the market's going to go up or down. Mm. That presumes some level of clairvoyance that we know. No, 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 the Bitcoin no. Market's going to go no, up no, or I... down, which we don't have. No, I don't mean that. I just mean that if you have to manage your basket of assets, mm-hmm. um, and if Bitcoin was say, you know, it, it, any investment you have to make, you have to make a decision. 
you could you could make a, a decision and say, look, we believe that Bitcoin would be a good investment right now, and you could issue tethers to buy Bitcoin. No, no, we don't issue tethers to buy Bitcoin. We issue tethers to customers that want uh, that want tethers. So how do how does Bitcoin end up within your basket? Well, as I said, if nothing else, Bitcoin is there to pay for transactions on the Omni layer. No, no, but how does it get there? How how does what's the process of the Bitcoin reaching your basket? Oh, Paolo, do you have any do you have any comments on that? Well, um, so I'm not sure if the the question is is, uh, is really clear. I would talk about um, the fact that how we acquire the Bitcoin that we need in order to fulfill the Omni layer transactions. So how do we get that? How do we get that Bitcoin, Paolo? Well, the, these bitcoins are uh, well. I would say that are a good um, amount of bitcoin remaining from uh, past acquisition that we likely did in 2015-2016. That uh, um, you know, with the, with the fact that OmniLayer is um, is slowing a bit down compared to the other blockchains that we are supporting. Uh, the amount of bitcoins that we luckily got a really good price in <laughs> in 2015 and 16 is probably enough uh, enough for for perpetuity. But again, Peter, let me emphasize: this has been in the public record since at least last summer. Mm. No, that's fine. Um, so I this, just... is, this isn't, in my view, this isn't new or shouldn't be new to anyone. No, what I'm trying to understand is, is, is if it's only Bitcoin that's held for transactions on the Omni layer, I understand that. But if Bitcoin is hold, held as a uh, within the basket because it's seen as a good asset to hold, then how does it end up in? How does it end up in there? Is it? Yeah, I just I'm, I'm just trying but to understand that. In so, but why we should um, issue even in in the case someone want, uh, would like to add bitcoin to its own basket why issuing tethers to do that right so there are fiat exchanges so why uh, so if someone want to manage his portfolio would just take part of dollars and uh, buy bitcoins so why issuing tether to do so i don't know that's why i'm asking i'm i'm just yeah but in in any case it's just even so the, the entire concept of us um, issuing Tether to buy Bitcoin for ourselves doesn't make sense. So why issuing Tethers when we have already the dollars and we have the ability to manage our inventory um, and our portfolio? So we could just use the dollars, right? So the entire narrative is completely nonsense, right? So why we have to do two steps when we can do one? Yeah, that's fair. Okay, okay. In terms of an audit, this is like something that comes up over and over. And I discussed this with Phil Potter a long time ago. I know you've got it on your website, but people don't trust your own lawyers providing the, the audit. Is there anything stopping you having a full and independent audit? So we spoke about this two and a half years ago when we said that we couldn't get an audit in part because of the amount of business that we had at a single finance financial institution at that time we have provided consulting reports from an accounting firm i think you were referring to these in your question from a law firm um free spork and sullivan firm of ex-federal judges and ex-director of the fbi uh, and a letter from our banker um 
And those were good faith efforts to try to provide transparency and some of the comfort that assurance services would provide. Uh, we said at the time that we continue to search for new ways to bring more information to the community. Um, I mentioned Ryan Salome's remarks earlier recently, that's part of those efforts. Interviews like this are part of those efforts. Public comments from our bankers are part of those efforts. So we continue to look for useful ways uh, to share information with the community, to be more open and, and transparent. And we have important plans in that regard for the coming year, but I can't get into specifics on that just now. So okay. all I can say on that one is, is stay tuned. Well, we can keep talking. Okay. So the reason I reached out to you is I get a lot of DMs, a lot of emails, and just suddenly over the last couple of weeks, I've had so many about Tether. And I'm posting things online, and people say it's Tether mm -hmm. manipulation. And I hadn't seen mm -hmm. it in a long time. Now, I've done my own research. I don't believe Tether is manipulated in the market. Um, I believe uh, a lot of what you said in terms of your... Uh, few serious people do. Well, no, and that's why I realized few serious people do. So my question really is for you is where do you think this is coming from? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I couldn't hazard a guess. Um, I think it's probably no coiners that just don't believe in the Bitcoin project. And by extension, they don't believe in Tether. Um, it could be people with their own agenda. Um, it's really not for me, for us to speculate. Okay, let's think in terms of something like but, that. But we've okay. noticed the same thing, Peter. Like, this comes up from time to time. Almost, you know, it's almost a six-month schedule. You know, every six months or so, there's some kind of huge um, push to uh, get a whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of fud out there, um, and it, it can vary as to as to the reasons why. This this current batch might be related to the the January fifteenth date that people have been talking about in the Niag litigation. Well, I'm going to ask you, you about know. that, but you've got people like Nuro Rabini, Amy Castor. Um, Francis Coppola are all quite openly accusing mm -hmm. you of manipulating the market and running a pump with Tether to pump Bitcoin. So they're quite serious allegations from quite uh, known profiles. Have you not considered any litigation against them for libel? Look, we don't believe in suing our critics into silence. Uh, we have never made a claim against anyone for defamation. defamation. It's not to say that we wouldn't ever, but it would be a high bar. Uh, we think it's better to try to counter fiction with facts uh, and truth. And in fact, contrary to some, what some may think, we're not, we're not particularly litigious people. Um, and that obviously, for whatever it's worth, extends to journalists as well. Uh, we're not about to hail Forbes Media into court in, uh, in to federal court in New Jersey. Um, so as to why Nouriel, why Francis, why uh, Amy are, uh, you know, engaging this kind of discussion, these kinds of uh, statements, you'd have to ask them. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. If you look back historically, because you've had all these accusations, you have to deal with all this pressure. Um, is there anything where you look back and you think, okay, we did that wrong, we handled this in the wrong way, are there things you should have done better, should have done differently? Absolutely. Um, I think that, um, look, I think for people out there that are true skeptics, and I'm not talking about deniers, not haters, uh, that it will never be convinced, I think 
one thing that we could have done better in the past and we're getting better at now is communications. And that's not a reflection on anyone. Paolo is brilliant at this stuff, just like he is with everything else. Uh, he's a brilliant guy. Uh, Joe Morgan is great, whom you know, uh, and we have very capable defenders out there um, making our case for us. But we've been so focused on building cool things that we have, and I've said this publicly, we have neglected our we have neglected our comps. Um, we have always known that we are a tech firm. We're not a law firm. We're not a PR shop. We're not a compliance shop. Although compliance is very important, and you know, mea culpa. I want to be clear that I'm as guilty of this as anyone else, to the extent that I haven't prioritized public communications. And I have said in the past, some of the fun it will just go away. You know, let's not give it oxygen. I was wrong about that, so you can blame me for that. But we are getting better at communicating with people. Uh, we're getting better at this. Uh, we're learning. We'll continue to learn, uh, and we'll continue to improve and get the facts and evidence out there. All right, let's talk about the MYAG case. For those people who don't know, because it's quite complicated, how would you summarize the accusations? So um, let's start with some baseline information on NIAG. Uh, first, there is no lawsuit or complaint that's been filed against Bifinex or Tether in New York uh, by the AG. Second, this is not... A, not a criminal investigation. Um, and third, the special proceeding is only directed at getting information and keeping the injunction in order for the AG, the AG to conduct her investigation. Now, Bifinex and Tether have cooperated with the AG's office for over two years and have produced approximately 2.5 million pages of materials. While the AG's office originally obtained an injunction relating to Tether's reserves uh, in April of 2019, that injunction was substantially narrowed uh, in the ensuing weeks and has not disrupted the day-to-day -day business of either Bitfinex or Tether. Uh, and the injunction in the order for information is what we've been referring to online when we speak about the 354 order. So the injunction is set to expire by its terms on January 15th, which is the January 15th date that I, I referenced earlier that people have been talking about. And by that time, the companies expect to have finished uh, producing documents to the Attorney General. So we've seen a lot of FUD and fear-mongering about January 15th, uh, much of it by those who hate not just Tether, but the entire digital token ecosystem. Despite those rumors and attacks, let me assure you that the business of Tether and Bitfinex will remain the same after January 15th. Um, I think our discussions with the AG are uh, going well. I think they're constructive, and uh, we look forward to uh, to continuing that conversation with them. But what is it they're pursuing here, particularly? They are seeking their... The original order had an injunction component, uh, and joining us from doing certain things, which doesn't affect our day-to-day -day business at this at this time. Uh, and it also sought information. So if you go through all of the requests that were in the original order from last April, they set out a series of um, a series of things that they wanted, a series of documents, information that they wanted from us. Um, we pushed back on that. We uh, appealed the Supreme Court's ruling on that, the New York Supreme Court's ruling on that. We lost. We accept that. 
uh, and we've mediated our disputes, as the attorney general said uh, in their letter to the court a few weeks ago. So again, they're looking for that information. We are in the course of providing that. Uh, that's going to be done by the 15th, and um, and we're continuing to talk with them. So what what happens after the 15th? What are the next steps in this? Because two years is a long time. I'm sure you want this wound up as uh, quickly as possible. What are the next steps after that? Time will tell. Again, our discussions with them are constructive. We've, you know, we've, we're on track to give them everything they're looking for. And uh, we'll see where it goes. Okay, I'm trying to understand what the various possible outcomes are from this and whether you can even talk about them. Um, uh, is there a scenario where Tether is wound up? Is there a scenario where Tether is just fined? And is there a scenario where actually they complete their investigation and, and there's no action to be taken? Certainly. Certainly, they may complete their investigation and they may bring a complaint. They may complete their investigation and think that there's nothing further to be done. Um, there may be some kind of settlement between the parties. There are any number of things that could happen. Right, okay. What about the other lawsuits? Uh, the other one I read about, there's uh, the class action lawsuit regarding the traders. Where are you at with that? Did you have that? You applied to have that um, ended, right? Uh, yeah, so we have uh, filed our motion to dismiss, and um, they have uh, given a reply. And excuse me, they the plaintiffs have given a reply in that, and we are waiting at this point to see if there's going to be oral argument in on the motion. Okay, just on the regulation side, um, it's quite an interesting time for let's say I'm going to say crypto, and I hate that word, but crypto slash Bitcoin slash stable coins. Um, very interesting thing that happened with the OCC recently. It feels like there's more regulation coming, but it's some of it's quite open regulation that's actually allowing this industry to continue, but with a lot of oversight. Specifically regarding to Tether, what, is the, what are the regulations you have to follow? What are the agencies you have to work with? Okay. Um, Tether is registered with FinCEN as a money services business. And Tether also is... Um, so... That means that Tether has to make reports up to FinCEN, have a compliance program, which I referred to earlier just in, in passing, subject to examination by FinCEN, that kind of thing. Tether also makes reports to the BVI's Financial Investigation Agency uh, under applicable law there, as most of the corps in the Tether group are, are BVI companies. Um, so the bottom line is, is that Tether is regulated. Um, so this notion you'll see sometimes that Tether is, quote, unregulated, which is a big word in, in some mouths, in my view. It's just flat wrong, and it's, it's a little bit irritating. But those are the baseline rules um, that that Tether has to follow, and our compliance program has been built to match or exceed those standards. So what did you make of the uh, OCC letter? Because it was quite interesting. The, the idea that banks can start issuing stable coins, I imagine for someone like... Well, you guys, that's quite interesting because could you see a scenario where they're working directly with Tether? Uh, it, I, I think it's I think it's premature to say that. I agree that the uh, that the OCC letter was was very interesting. Other people far smarter than I am uh, have have talked about that and opined on it already, and I'll certainly defer to our U.S. counsel on that. Um, but it's very interesting. And look, um, we always are interested in 
working with and cooperating with and teaching and learning from um, regulators and policymakers and law enforcement agents in, in around the world, not just in the United States. That's another a, another step on that road. I think you're right. I think I think increased regulation in this space is coming. I think it's going to be different depending on where it is. You know, we don't take U.S. customers. Um, so, you know, but we are, we are registered with FinCEN still. So that's something that we need to pay attention to. Uh, and, uh, we'll continue to engage on a worldwide basis with, uh, anyone wants to work with us to help develop their own policies, help develop their own regs and, uh, and figure out what they can learn from us and what we can learn from them. In that kind of context, we just think that other people are better qualified to do the last mile and we're happy to cede the field to them. Okay. Are there, uh, this might be a question back for you, Paolo, but are there scenarios where Tether can fail? Any uh, form of catastrophic failure? I think that the only one that I'm um, not worried about, but, uh, you know, due to my technical nature, I'm working every single day and second of my life to prevent is ensuring that privacy keys stay safe. That's it, right? So what we do is to choose the blockchains we uh, we allow tether on in a really careful way so we choose blockchains that uh, are first of all supported by a wide community we choose blockchains that allow support that has a uh, native token support uh, as uh, if possible that have as as, as any built-in multi-sig uh, pattern that we can use and have support for hardware wallets so these are basically the key requirements for us to operate safely on a, a specific blockchain. We, we do have the ability of freezing accounts on, on uh, most of the blockchains. That is really important. As, as Sue said, we save tens of millions of dollars. Uh, part of those were also, you know, some of these situations were public uh, when we, we did that, or we recall at one recent uh, exchange hack, for example. So yeah, basically my, my, uh, my life is all about, you know, thinking, how things can go wrong and uh, try and, and uh, make sure that uh, we can prevent uh, those from happening. Which, uh, which blockchains are you currently supporting? Uh, we support, well, uh, Bitcoin two ways, I would say, from uh, OmniLayer and Liquid. Mm -hmm. uh, then we support uh, EOS, Ethereum, Tron, uh, Algorand. Don't, 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 don't do that face, please. <laughs> Fucking Tron. <laughs> on a pad on a podcast called What Bitcoin Did, you're gonna get you're you gonna get the grimace, Paolo. Yes, but you he asked me. Yeah, no, I know. I know. But Tron. <laughs> come on, Tron. Well, but the Ethereum fees were sixteen dollars, mate. But but Tron, <laughs> Jesus. Well and all right, all right. <laughs> okay, okay. Um all right, so in fairness, you've answered all the questions that I wanted to ask you, kind of like and these were based on uh, a lot of the questions that were coming out in the uh, Twitter when I put it out there, most of them are related to, is it fully backed, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I, I personally still think there's work to be done there. So I'm going to keep pushing you on that. Stuart, is there anything I've not asked that you kind of wish I had? No, I don't think so. But I do want to just jump back to your comment. I, I actually agree with you. I think that there is work to be done. Uh, I think you should continue to push us. And nothing is perfect. Nothing, um, we can always do better. And we look forward to doing better this year and, and beyond. But uh, we're really excited about 2021 and, and uh, 
you know, we look forward to being pushed. We look forward to these questions. We look forward to engaging with the community and, and, and putting the facts out there on the table. How comfortable would you be doing one in the future, give it a couple of months, and perhaps allow people to submit questions in and take the questions submitted in? I'd have to talk to our PR folks, but personally, I'm very comfortable with that. I'm yeah, fine think, with that. I think we should do that. Um, look, as I said in the start, and for full transparency, you know, people should know that I'm in a legal situation and Tether have helped support that at some points, but at no point does that change the line of questioning. I told you beforehand I'm only doing this if I can ask any question I want. People should know that. Uh, I wanted to do it because whilst people say, oh, you're a journalist, Pete, you should be completely impartial, I, I think this is all FUD and it's, I'm finding it really annoying and I'm finding a consistent pattern in who it's coming from. And it's coming from people who've had an agenda against Bitcoin for a long time. And it's coming from people who think are no coiners and they're salty. Um, I, don't, I haven't found anyone I actually respect doing this. So uh, I can be impartial as, as best with my questions, but I'm not impartial because I, don't, I believe this is FUD. Um, but uh, I will continue to push you. Uh, I'll continue to ask you questions. You should. And, and uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. And yeah, hopefully we'll do this again in a couple of months. And I, I'll, if that's okay with you guys, I'll open up to the floor and see if questions uh, in the community people have. Okay, did that answer all your questions? If not, please feel free to reach out to me. You know my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Stuart and Paolo said they'll come on again if we've got more questions, so please feel free to reach out to me. As I said in the intro, I don't really buy into the tether FUD because I did my research years ago. I tried to look into it. I tried to find and I just couldn't find anything. And I think this is mainly spread by salty people who just don't like Bitcoin. They don't like it going up. They feel like they've missed out. They just want to hate it. It's the likes of the Nuriel Rabinis, the Francis Coppolas, that kind of person. So, yes, thank you to Paolo and Stuart for coming on and answering the questions I threw at them. I'll definitely be keeping tabs on this. As I said, they will come back on if we have to do it next week, next month, whenever. It is an open book. So if you feel I didn't ask anything that should have been, please reach out to me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I will take a look at it. I will collect up the questions, and I'm happy to go back to them and try and do this again. Outside of that, I haven't got much more to say. Hope you've had a great weekend, and I'll see you all next week.